Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Listen for what God is saying to you. Therefore, since Christ suffered as a human, you should also arm yourselves with his way of thinking. This is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their human lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. You have wasted enough time doing what unbelievers desire, living in their unrestrained immorality and lust, their drunkenness and excessive feasting and wild parties, and their forbidden worship of idols. They think it's strange that you don't join in these activities with the same flood of unrestrained wickedness, so they slander you. They will have to reckon with the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Indeed, this is the reason the good news was also preached to the dead. This happened so that although they were judged as humans according to human standards, they could live by the spirit according to divine standards. The end of everything has come. Therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so you can pray. Above all, show sincere love to each other because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. Open your homes to each other without complaining and serve each other according to the gift each person has received as good managers of God's diverse gifts. Whoever speaks should do so as those who speak God's word. Whoever serves should do so from the strength that God furnishes. Do this so that in everything God may be honored through Jesus Christ. To him be honor and power forever and always. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised about the fiery trials that have come among you to test you. These are not strange happenings. Instead, rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. You share his suffering now so that you may also have overwhelming joy when his glory is revealed. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Good morning, Urban Village Church. Uh, my name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of um, serving alongside many of the folks that you have seen up here, and also those who ha you who often are not up front, but generally tend to sit um, toward the back, but make this this thing happen in a real way for us. Um, and I am grateful for, for each one of you um, who helps us do and be who we are, uh, both this day and in the days to come. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together um, on this beautiful day and to not only be reminded of the light that you shine outside, um, outside of this building, but the light that you shine in our lives, helping us to examine ourselves more closely, to see you more clearly, and to be encouraged for the work and the walk that you have created us for. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who never gives up on us for some reason. Amen. Um, I uh, 
want to say, before I, I step into the, the sermon, sermonic space, I um, want to say thank you to those who um, helped to carry out um, worship last week. It sounded like uh, it was a great time with Chris preaching, and I was able to be with many folks who are actually in this congregation, but other con- uh, couples from around UBC um, for uh, a couple's, our very first kind of marriage retreat, um, and it went really, really well, and we saw folks doing really hard, good, hard work, and I'm just grateful that um, this congregation um, had the, the sort of generosity to share me um, with the broader church to be able to help strengthen the relationships that folks um, are trying to build together. Um, so you might remember from previous weeks uh, that the folk this letter were written to um, are not so much the uh, McRib of the Roman Empire as they were more like the bacon potato pie, a good idea for somewhere else. Um, the bacon potato pie is in uh, McDonald's, Japan. Um, they're a little rough around the edges. Um, their lives were messy, and while it was a bit of a spectacle to see, they didn't have a lot in the way of mass appeal. So throughout the letter, the author is trying to make it plain to these Christians about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Up until this point, it feels a lot like a series of one-page memos with bullet points and large graphics. Uh, do this, don't do that. Go here, stay away from there. Uh, but similar to the way I sometimes hide a piece of food between uh, two pieces of food that my daughter, Sella, does want to eat, um, the author of 1 Peter manages to tuck in a few theologically nutritional nuggets um, about those more, between those more obvious bits of spiritual food. The first half of this passage is about a lifestyle shift that uh, the new believers were supposed to be living into, a lifestyle that was calling them into deeper discipline and diligence about their bodies, their minds, their relationships with people around them. It's a pretty classic list of sinfulness, depending, and uh, depending on your own history, it could have some triggers in it. Um, what do we mean when we're talking about things like unrestrained immorality and lust, drunkenness, excessive feasting, wild parties, and worship of idols? One UVC or at another site said, uh, what does immorality and lust even look like at UVC? Um, which I was sort of like kind of baffled by. Um, to me, it's pretty obvious, but I guess if you grew up in a context that was pretty severely binary, I could see how navigating gray areas might feel a little difficult. So let's, let's talk about this list for a few minutes, okay? Our driving framework for understanding this more deeply is in the verse that's just before it. We don't live the rest of our human lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. Living our lives determined by God's will might seem sort of mysterious at first, like, what is God's will? But then you remember that the rule of thumb that I always say God's intention is wholeness of life for all. Everything about God's movement in the world, everything about God's story throughout Scripture is oriented toward this purpose. So when we look at this list through the lens of wholeness of life for all, here's what we see. Unrestrained immorality and lust means treating your body and your heart and the bodies and hearts of others with care. And this is less about sexual purity than it is about making decisions that honor the spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being of your partner and yourself. If you don't know what that looks like, if that still feels confusing, let's talk. Um, Drunkenness. AKA, don't get wasted, right? It's bad for your liver. It often leads to making bad decisions like getting tattoos of Chinese characters you do not know anything about. This is not the same as having a few drinks and then waking up in the middle of the night thirsty, okay? Excessive feasting. Don't eat your feelings, right? It's Girl Scout cookie season. Through a series of miscommunications, we have purchased eight boxes of Thin Mints, two boxes of Samoas, and one box of Savannah Smiles. We have plans for them, but not all on the same night. Okay? 
Also, it's not good for the environment. I just met up with a, a new UVCer, Kate, who Kate, who was telling me that she and her roommate are being vegan for a month to kind of see what kind of foods, dairies, and meat that they can cut down on because those uh, foods in particular contribute to harmful practices um, uh, both in food, the food industry as well as the environment. Um, wild parties. I know what you did last night, right? Mob mentality is real, and even if you didn't technically do anything, like you were just sitting in the back seat uh, when you're, uh, of the car when your friend, who you thought was just going into the 7-Eleven to buy a big hunk, jumps in with pantyhose on her head, it won't hold up on, in court, right? Trust me. It's easy to find yourself swept up in events that you did not plan on being a part of just by being in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Avoid people and circumstances that put you in those situations because you might find yourself participating in stuff that you are really not proud of. And finally, worship of idols. Take a look at your credit card statement and your Google calendar. What are you spending your money and time on? Check it with your values and that will show you how you're really prioritizing your life. Dr. Brene Brown, who is basically the mascot, I think, of Urban Village, um, talks a lot about shame and vulnerability in her work. Uh, after 10 years of research, she has observed that one of the primary ways that we deal with our pain is through numbing ourselves. Food, alcohol, sex, drugs, consumerism. Here's what I think about the list that was up there. Um, it's not so much a checklist of right and wrong than it is about what helps us be fully present and alive and aware and capable of real connection with others. It's about God's agenda, wholeness of life for all. But it's that last part, all, which I think, if we're honest with ourselves, can get a little tough to execute. It's hard to practice that kind of inclusivity, which at UBC is one of our stated values. Every once in a while I get this question from someone, what do you mean by inclusive? Like, if we say we're inclusive of folks who identify as same-gender-loving or LGBTQ, doesn't that implicitly exclude people who don't think that's compatible with Christianity? And generally, I'll say something along the lines of, anyone is welcome here, but these are the values that we're committed to. Anyone who can't hang with them or isn't willing to hang with them should find a different community to be a part of. No shade, no defensiveness, just a plain statement of where we have planted our stake. And for a long time, that really felt like the right way to respond, um, a kind of solid way to say, this is who we are committed to protecting space for. But as our value for inclusion has grown and begun to take shape more deeply, especially around our commitments to anti-racism, I've slowly come to realize that protecting space is not quite enough, right? You can send in the National Guard uh, to desegregate the schools, but that doesn't really change the classroom dynamics, right? As we draw our circle wider, our commitments have had to grow sharper, sharp enough even to examine the faith tradition that actually brought us to this place, which feels a little bit like the snake eating its tail. We're in the middle of this sermon series, as Lena mentioned, um, about radical hope, and it might be easy to assume that we know what radical hope means, you know, the gospel. Um, but I think it's worth taking some time to unpack what we really, what's, what radical hope really means. Um, and Steve Davidson um, and H.P. Deborah shared an article by Vincent Lloyd, a professor of theology at Villanova University with me the other week um, that I think really will help us do that. Dr. Lloyd talks about a few kinds of hope that show up in Christianity and what they mean, especially when it comes to the efforts of dismantling white supremacy. So the first kind of hope he talks about is hope as affect, hope as a kind of feeling. 
a feeling about the future. Deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. It's nice to feel hopeful. And it's energizing, and it's encouraging, and it also looks really different depending on your vantage point. For someone in a place of privilege, hope kind of looks a lot like optimism, right? But for a person on the other side, hope looks like a world of despair that has been interrupted and turned on its head. Disruption of the world as it has always functioned on the, at the expense of my dignity. Hope looks really different, feels really different, depending on the way that you're looking at it. The second kind of hope he talks about is hope as rhetoric, a kind of spoken into being. And this, this kind of hope would probably follow under the uh, name it and claim it theological category. The limitation of this, of course, is that talk is cheap, right? And if we don't act on what we say, then our words mean very little. As we're experiencing all too painfully, we don't get to declare a post-racial reality just because we had a black president. And not just because we want it to be true. Um, the third kind of hope uh, he talks about is hope as novelty, hope as a, a new thing. And this is the result of what it means to be part of a living faith. I think when you have folks who are interpreting and reimagining ways to embody um, the faith of, of, uh, of Christ, to, to embody what it means to um, speak life into a world of death, um, what can end up happening is a little bit less about the enactment of of the thing um, as much as a fascination with what the next new thing is going to be, right, rather than what the next new thing is for. So hope as a novelty can only take us so far. And then um, a fourth kind of hope he talks is hope as poverty. Um, another way to think about this is a preferential option for the poor, which is a phrase that comes from Latin American liberation theology, which says, God is not decidedly not with the wealthy or the middle class, but God has a deep preference for the poor, which can make some folks, if you're not poor, make you feel a little uncomfortable, right? Um, if, but uh, in this uh, version of hope, it says if you want to be near to God, you have to become poor. Um, in the Christian tradition, this shows up in the stories and lessons that Jesus talks about, the rich young man, right? He, Jesus talks to him about that. Um, it talks about, uh, Jesus talks about it in the instructions that uh, he gives to his disciples, don't only take one coat with you, um, and then, of course, the very lifestyle that Jesus lived, he talks about the birds have nests, um, but I have no place to lay my head, right? Um, so this hope says that if I give it all up, then I can know God and be close to God's ministry and God's people. The problem with this one, though, is that um, if you are not poor and you renounce the place that you came from, you end up cutting ties with the community that formed you. And while you may immerse yourself in this new community of poverty, you can never really shed entirely the way that you were formed. You are who you are. And if you don't have any of the people who formed you in your life, you can um, accidentally, un unwittingly risk inflicting pain on the community um, that you are trying to be part of. An example of this might be something like an American missionary who goes to an economically disadvantaged country to be with people um, but always has access to certain privileges because of their citizenship. They always have an escape patch, right, to get out. You're never really fully of the people, um, even if you truly want to be. So each of these four kinds of hopes have a limitation, he says, um, but, and they're pieces of a bigger puzzle. Um, they tell us something about Christian hope, but each one um, is not quite fully there. So there's this last hope, and this is the one that I'm getting to that Dr. Lloyd talks about, 
Um, and it's, it's the one, I think, that earns the title of radical. He calls it hope as a theological virtue or hope that is inf infused by God. And this hope says that your commitment must not only be shaped by a community, but also infused by God. And that sounds really good until you remember what happened to Jesus, right? Um, if you really want to be as close to God as possible, if you really want to be part of the vision and work that God is doing in the world, then you really actually have to open yourself to some real pain and despair in the world. Another way to put this is you can't get to Easter Sunday without passing through Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And at least the way that Dr. Lloyd puts it is you don't do this just once or twice in your lifetime. You do this as a regular practice as a person of faith. And I'm not saying that creating unnecessary drama is a spiritual practice, right, in your life. Uh, do not manufacture pain for yourself because there's enough being manufactured in the world for us, right? What I am saying is that radical hope calls us to shed the protections that we put in place to keep our hearts and spirits from feeling the pain of this world, or maybe even some of those practices that were in that list before that keep us numb, right? It means opening ourselves and feeling the full pain of this world, not once, not twice, but over and over again as a commitment to the work that Christ did so long ago. It's like seeing families flee the U.S. for Canada and feeling the pain and the shame of that. It's like seeing water protectors getting snatched overnight and prosecuted under the same kind of laws that were used to dismantle the black power movement and feeling the pain of that. It's like recalling Executive Order 9066, which on this day 75 years ago authorized the forced removal and relocation of Japanese American citizens, an executive order that in one form or another does not feel like it's outside of the realm of possibility today. Opening ourselves to feel the despair of powerlessness and the overwhelm of pain, not just for ourselves, but for one another, to feel the depth of pain and still commit ourselves to the work of disrupting and dismantling those systems and cultures that thrive on that pain. This is what hope looks like. I know that some folks, uh, may or maybe just me, have at different times in the last month or so begun to feel so overwhelmed with just all of the things that are coming down the pipeline. And it can be really easy to just want to sort of cover your head and put, or just you know, stay in bed all day. Um, but radical hope looks like getting out of bed every single day and recommitting ourselves to that promise of wholeness of life that God proclaimed into the world in the formation of the world. I think that this is what it really means to be inclusive at the deepest, most Christian, Christ-like way. Hurting together radically means hoping together radically, too. It allows us to hope together radically. This isn't because God enjoys making us feel bad, but because a Christian community carries each other's burdens, including the fearful doubt that we might not make it through, even as we continue to act on that truth that God's promises for wholeness of life for all are real. Choosing to despair together reminds us not only of how fragile we are, but it also keeps us clear-headed about what radical hope demands, a greater strength than what we could manage on our own, and a greater vision than what we could dream up together. The rest of the passage goes on to talk about having this clear-headedness, a clear-headedness that comes from turning away from that, those, numb, those numbing practices so that we can pray truth in the middle of chaotic times in a world full of alternative facts, right? That we can know what truth really looks like. 
It means opening our homes and serving one another. There, I spent um, some time in Lebanon um, several years ago, and there was a phrase that people would say when they welcome you into their shop or into their home. They would say, ahlan wa sahlan. And what ahlan wa sahlan basically means, it's an ancient term that says, I'm opening my home to you. I, will, I want you to feel at home as much as possible. I will make your way straight and your path smooth. Opening our homes together and serving one another together, practicing ahlan wa sahlan with one another is part of what it means to begin to live in solidarity with each other. To speak God's truth into the world even when we feel like we're the only ones doing it, right? Of loving one another sincerely, of hurting together and hoping together in that order over and over again. Our passage today is bookended with suffering, and I don't know if uh, we're able to get that up there. So this is, the it, in uh, verse 1, it says, uh, therefore, since Christ has suffered as a human, you should also arm yourself with this way of thinking. This is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. You're finished with that life that keeps you numb from experiencing the pain and despair of this world. And then at the end, rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings. You share in his suffering now so that you might also have overwhelming joy when his glory is revealed. Isn't that strange to talk about suffering as a way to experience joy? And yet, this is exactly what our gospel, our radical gospel, demands of us. This is what inclusivity looks like. Choosing to suffer together. This is how we open our way to overwhelming Easter Sunday joy. And this is how, this is how God's glory is revealed. It's really hard, and it's really beautiful. And for that, I say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you showed us the way to deeper love for one another. And we're afraid of it, we have to admit, because we don't want to feel all of those things. We don't want to open ourselves to that kind of pain. There's enough pain in our own lives. And so God, help us to have the courage and the strength and the commitment to open ourselves not only to one another's suffering, but the suffering of this world, because we know that somehow in that path of solidarity, we can find a way to begin to dismantle all of the pain of this world and the things that thrive on death and make way for new life. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who calls us friend, who calls us child, who calls us colleague in this work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. so many fears till all my tears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God.
from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into this family. Your love flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am child of God. surrounded by the arms of our God. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drowned my fears in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. 